Election Tuesday, otherwise known as the Hunger Games, as I'm labeling it, coming right up. We'll get into election odds. We'll talk potential consequences. And then we're, we're, we're of course, going to get into gold, the juniors, the consolidation that's going on, the dollar strength that is now starting to show itself. We'll talk about whether or not that appears sustainable, along with a host of other topics and issues. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 92 of Bizarro World, otherwise known as the Hunger Games edition. Nick, how are you? I'm good, Gerardo. I hope you're ready for riots until Christmas. And before we go on, I have to say, um, make sure you click the thumbs up button near the uh, bottom of this video and also subscribe to the Bizarre World channel because, um, well, it helps other people hear what little old me and Gerardo have to say. And uh, with that, back to you, Gerardo, and the Hunger Games. No, listen, let's get right into it. Um Hunger Games happens Tuesday. Let's throw out some crystal ball prognostications so we can make fools of ourselves. Who do you got, Mr. Hodge? Who do you have? It's the it's tougher than 2016, Gerardo. In mm. 2016, the gut of guts sort of led me to Trump in the in the last minute. Um, and this time it is more difficult. The polls are uh nearly unanimously in his in Biden's favor. The election odds are saying 65% in Biden's favor. But the the fervor behind Trump is such that um, <laughs> it m makes me think that he can do it again. And of course, uh, we know the Electoral College uh, structure favors the Republican candidates in the current political climate. And so I know, and this is going to be a really long answer, sorry. I know that, um, you know, Texas is being entertained as a toss-up state and Ted Cruz called it a real race. And um, I know that Kamala is campaigning there today and hitting three different places, or at least this week. And I get that COVID cases are spike spiking. We just had the highest... Uh, number of daily reported cases over 90,000 this week and so um gosh you're doing like the the gun to the head thing um that's <laughs> i think i think trump wins again and we have riots until christmas okay and, and 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 you know let's a couple of points there not only is trump's base you know energized, um, putting it mildly, right? His core base, which he does a great job of mobilizing, but it appears mother nature is working on behalf of, of, of Joe Biden, right? I don't know if you saw the rally in Nebraska and I thought for, for the skeptics amongst, you know, the political class that do not like Trump and that believe he is a narcissist and believe that he just cares about himself. Um, it was an interesting week to watch from afar. Uh, did you see what happened in Nebraska? with the rally and the freezing temperatures and people um, getting hypothermia. I did. There was significant <laughs> freezing rain across much of the Midwest this past week. Yes. And then did you see like a day or two later, it was the complete opposite. He had a rally in Tampa and it was 89 degrees and humid and fire trucks had to be deployed to water people down um, because every five or 10 minutes, people were needing medical attention. The weather is karmic. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I say all that to say that, look, you know, we've had riots for the bulk of the year. Um, if I'm looking at history and I'm studying it from a fourth turning perspective, I have to believe Trump wins. Because as you so eloquently put it a couple of episodes ago, um, a Biden win would stabilize the country. I, I, I do believe it would, um, you know, unite more of the country because Trump isn't interesting in interested in uniting. He's not even interested in continuing to try to beat back the latest surge in COVID cases. And it's not just cases, it's hospitalizations. And to me, that's the metric to chart, right? If you test more, yes, you get more cases, but the hospitalizations are just the people that feel bad, that feel bad enough to go expose themselves to an emergency room in a hospital. And they're not faking those. Nobody is faking a, you know, a miserable existence to go spend the night at a hospital. That's not happening. And those are, are, are surging as well. And here we are days before the election and Trump and his administration have, have, have just said that, no, we're not, we're no longer doing preventive policy. We're going to hope for a vaccine, hope, and it'll be what it'll be. And of course, immediately Governor Kemp over in Georgia catches COVID from a Trump rally Um, The Pence staff, you know, five or six of them caught it here this past week. It's just, again, it, it, on a personal note, I don't see how you can look at that administration and, 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 and say, you know, they got it together. There's a coherent plan moving forward. I know initially when Biden was announced to be the candidate, everyone, including myself, looked at Biden and said, you've got to be kidding me. Like, can can we get a better second option? Like, is this guy coherent? And and you know what? To Mr. Biden's credit, he came on pretty strong. I thought in the past month or so, um, as far as policy and specifics, and 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 you know the things that we've come to expect from presidential candidates. And so, back to my back back to my prediction, just based on history and just based on where we are in this turning, you know, all of the numbers look to favor Mr. Biden. History tells me Trump's going to win. Um, and that's yeah, yeah, same, same for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and history tells me that it, if he does win, it's not going to be decided on Tuesday. But we'll see. We'll know a Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. It'll be fun to talk about next week. Listen, whoever wins presides over uh, an American crisis, right? And it seems to me uh, Trump would be better at presiding over an American crisis. There's a lot of other things layered in there. Uh, I don't think. Democrats and and Biden deserve to win. Um, I don't think you get a true crystallization around a bottom and a turning if you get uh, a Biden presidency. Uh, And I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, him him dying before inauguration, which I'm sure you've been seeing these articles, even the AP has been running about it. What happens if, if you know, Biden gets elected and, and passes away before inauguration and, and this and that? I think, like you say, to be on the, uh, the side of history, the way it needs to go is, is why I think that uh, Mr. Trump wins. And again, this isn't for, for those of you out there that are sensitive, which is not the bulk of you, because if you were, you wouldn't be listening to this. You know, this isn't a political statement from Nick or myself. You know, I, I, I personally am not a fan of Mr. Trump. And personally, I'm not a huge fan of Mr. Biden. You know, if I had to sit down to have a beer, I, I'd probably rather sit down, uh, much rather sit down with Mr. Biden. But I think they both ha- both have their faults. And I believe the citizenry deserves 
better candidates to say the least. It's just a statement on where I think the election ends up because of where we are historically. And, and, you know, call it the hunger games, call it the purge, call it, you know, whatever you want to call it. We are in that part of the cycle where we need to see again, as you put it several episodes ago, that final kind of, you know, capitulation in our political system. And, and look, I think for those of you that are going to vote for the same guy that brought you, you know, the, uh, the, the, some of the chaos that's going on, at, at least socially, you know, a lot of it was inspired by his rhetoric um, and focused on the negative instead of the positive, right? Then, then you know, you have to own that and, and vice versa for those of you voting for Mr. Biden. You know, you're, if, if he does win and he comes in and the economy shut down completely for the next month or two, um, then you're going to have to own that as well. And unfortunately, again, as a citizen who just voted, those were my two choices, really. There wasn't really a third choice. I know you might disagree with that, Nick. Um, but 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 to me, there wasn't. To me, you had to cast a vote for someone that had a shot at winning. And it, it felt a little dirty. You know, I, I, I it was similar to 2016. I came home, I showered, and I was like, please give me a better list of candidates in uh, 2024, right? I think you'll get that for sure. That's one thing I'm, I'm positive and uh, upbeat about uh, for sure. But yeah, it was uh, it was a turd sandwich this year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's pivot back to gold and the consolidation in the juniors. It's been a pretty um, a pretty tough month if we're looking just at equity prices. And it hasn't been tough as it relates to the progress that companies are making, you know, Regulus is drilling, Chicana is starting to deliver really good numbers from the Soledad project. Uh, Nevada Sunrise got a drill turning at Coronado tonight, if I'm not mistaken, and has assays pending from Kinsley Mountain that we should see in the next week or two. So a lot of companies are doing a lot of good work and they've been rewarded by seeing their market caps cut 30, 40, and in some cases, 50%. Um, meanwhile, the gold price has pulled back a bit, but look, we're sitting here, we closed at 1878 today. And so the pullback has not been as pronounced as you would expect, given the pullback in the juniors. Uh, are, are, are we done with it? Are we done with it? Um, done with it. I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure. Um, you know, gold fell to 1860s as it did in uh, September, I believe it was, and, and held there pretty well. What's encouraged me is uh, the earnings of the gold companies that I've seen come out mm-hmm. so far. Um, I think that does well to attract a, a group of investors that aren't already convinced of the of the gold narrative. They're now being convinced by the, as Rick Rule would say, the arithmetic of it, right? We've seen Kinross reinstate dividend. We've seen Agnico come out yesterday and increase dividend. We saw Newmont increase dividend. We saw Alamos increase dividend. So um, that's putting new eyes on the sector. And then um, I was reading an issue um, or the October issue of, of Junior Resource Monthly. And like you say, there's a lot of uh, active companies as well. So uh, there's a lot of deals out there. Some of the valuations are exceedingly cheap, especially for um, companies that have immediate catalysts ahead and especially for uh, some companies that even have uh, resources in the ground and and non-exploration catalysts ahead, but catalysts ahead nonetheless on um, other fronts, permitting fronts or, or what have you. And so um, I think it's a, it's probably a good time to, to start 
getting back into the sector for new people to be getting into the sector um, and to be buying some of those names that um, frankly were attractive 40 or, or 50 percent higher you know it's a little early to get into names but magma gold fell below a dollar as did uh revival gold for example two names that we talk about a lot and two of uh some of the busier names out there let's talk about companies whose share price has held in pretty well i couldn't help but notice almaden had a pretty good week and it's had frankly a pretty good month if you look at that chart it hit a low you know right around the dollar mark canadian and it closed today at a dollar 26 um, I think people and the market is starting to sense that we are close, finally, as we've been saying, to a permitting resolution down at the Ixtaca project. It also didn't hurt that the company has been very vocal about the fact that it is being aggressive again on the exploration front. Um, and, and and there is more to be discovered there, I believe. So it was nice to see Almaden hold up. The other one that's held up extremely well is one that, you know, I've, I I had subscribers in, I think some 50 or 55% ago, and that's Probe Metals. It's held up mm. very well. Um, and, you know, I believe it's a takeout candidate. It's got over 25 million Canadian in cash. Rigs turning over 3 million gold ounces headed to four and five. Huge camps, um, excellent properties, excellent management. So those two are interesting to me because... They are both takeout candidates. And you mentioned the cash, the balance sheets and the cash position of the producers. And I think they are finally at a place where you're going to start seeing some aggressive M&A. And yeah, I, I, I think the better positioned juniors will benefit from that. I mean, you know, I have to agree with you. And then I see in my inbox today, you know, comments from Sean Boyd, the head of Agnigo, talking about how investors aren't interested in growth. They're interested in retaining that cash and passing it uh, through to shareholders and focusing on margins and profitability and, and, and not growth. And so I'm interested to see how they approach it because you and I both know that those reserves have to be a place eventually um, or else the profitability and the margins don't matter in a couple of years, right? Yeah. And what are you going to do? Replace those reserves at $2,300 gold, $2,500 gold? I mean, as a CEO of a company whose job is to maximize return for shareholders, sure, it's nice that the shareholders want you know, the dividend, but um, it's not going to look too good in two or three years if you're buying you know, midway through the cycle when you could have bought with, with gold at 1875, 1890, 1900, 2000, pick a price. Um, and, and valuations start finally coming back to reverting to the mean, right? I mean, we know that if we look at historical valuations, gold ounces in the ground, we're nowhere near, you know, the highs that we saw back in 2011. And so I think we're headed back there and I think it, it would behoove these producers with rich balance sheets to get out there and start replacing and replenishing those reserves at today's prices, because I don't think they last long. It's a long way of saying, I think this is the bottom in that consolidation. And I think that, you know, we're seeing the better names hold up and some of the names that have really been beat up are starting to recover. So we'll see uh, what that looks like. Another uh, subject I want to touch on briefly is the dollar strength. We saw the dollar break above 94 um, after, after, you know, weakness. And it's happened exactly why we thought it would happen. You know, Europe is in trouble. Uh, France, Germany just instituted nationally mandated lockdowns again. Um, the ECB is doing all it knows how to do. Talk about counterfeiting money 
and more stimulus. And I think the dollar's sniffing that out. And we're starting to see, you know, we're starting to see money come into the U.S. dollar. I don't know if you had an opportunity, Nick, to see the footage of people leaving in France, uh, people rushing to get out before the lockdown curfew was supposed to be imposed. Did you catch that at all? I did not. That's very interesting. It, I mean, the highways were absolutely bumper to bumper and it was people rushing to get out of there. And I thought it was it uh, very, lot, yeah, it, it does. I thought it was symbolic of what's going to happen to European capital. I think it's coming to the US and I think it's going to boost the dollar up. And then I think we're going to have to see gold, Bitcoin, and you've heard me say this a million times, and the US dollar rise together. And I think gold's going to have a pretty good shot at proving that here in the next couple of months. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's, and I was writing about it this week as well. It's been an inverse correlation with the, the stocks, right? I mean, the S&P has been absolutely brutalized down 5% in the, in the, in the past week or so. And that's a large, large uh, move in a short amount of time. And so, um, yeah, we'll see if it can catch a bit here post earnings season. I think there's a lot of uncertainty with the uh, election and, and the size of the stimulus depends on, uh, you know, uh, who's elected. I also think that, you know, volatility is is back in the mix. And so uh, gold has held in there nice, but I'm with you. I want to see it. Uh, I want to see this melt up you speak of. From a financial perspective, from a monetary and fiscal perspective, regardless of who wins, right? Back to the elections, Biden or Trump, we're going to get stimulus, right? We, I know, again, I, you know, I hate to beat a dead horse here, and we've said this week after week, but that's really why the market is throwing the tantrum that it's thrown, right? It, it, it had its worst week since March, I believe, the Dow did. And, and it wanted and was demanding stimulus before the election. And woohoo, you had to wait a week, and you might have to wait a month or two, depending on how the election ends up. But I don't think that the fiscal policy is in doubt. They are going to print, print, print because there's very little that they can do. The Fed is actually out of things to buy and is begging for fiscal stimulus so that the monetary side can continue to be aggressive. And so, again, a pretty straightforward path to higher gold prices, in my opinion, and and real estate in low tax areas like Washington State and Texas. Right. Well, and a, and a nice window, right, if it's not going to get sewn up for a, a month or two here at the end of the year to uh, sort of step back and reevaluate everything. I've seen a couple of, um, you know, brokers send out emails about starting to tax loss harvest. And so a good time to start thinking about that and, and redeploying that cash into, you know, the names we were speaking about in the, in the beginning of the podcast, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we talk about the gift that keeps on giving Mr. Jerry Falwell Jr.? Did you see that headline recently amongst the very I busy mean, week? <laughs> no, but you're going to tell me and, and I have a feeling by what's on the sheet, I'm gonna, I know what's coming. So he has filed a defamation lawsuit in Virginia against um, the university that he oversaw. So he filed it. Um, alleging that the private, you know, Liberty University, the private evangelical Christian college tarnished his reputation, quote unquote, in a series of public statements following his resignation over several sex scandals. The lawsuit goes on to, to, to very emphatically deny my words, not his, that he is no cuck. <laughs> and so... I don't know that there's anything in this lawsuit that 
that, that 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 would make me believe that it was filed for any other reason other than the fact that it did not sit well with him that he now has this reputation which again no judgments at all for me i am the last person to judge anyone on any consens- consensual sexual activity right but he seems rather bothered by the insinuation um and so yeah i'll put a link up I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just humorous to me that he <laughs> thinks a lawsuit is going to change the reputation. I mean, the, the the legal record is one thing, but the uh, the public diaspora and zeitgeist is something else. Interesting to say the least. Um, more to come, I'm sure. What else you got in your mind, Mr. Hodge? Do you want to talk about the political ad spend out there? Do we want to talk? Do we want to talk about you know the 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 intersection between you know the business that we're in, uh, one of them, the publishing business, and how that's affecting uh, you know plans and 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 rollouts uh, because of the political spend in this country, which is absolutely you know it's it's the weekend before the election, right? Understandably so, it's absolutely off the charts, but it has a real world effect on even smaller businesses like ours, right? Absolutely. And just in conversations I've had uh, with people in the industry and articles I've been reading about um, advertising spend of late, it's uh, the amount of money that political campaigns are spending this year, aided by you know billionaires like Bloomberg who have thrown their money into the ring. Um, is is just off the charts and that's filtered down into tv and and radio ad spend yes but also uh, obviously as our listeners are surely aware online advertising and so uh, their media spend budgets are so vast and so so great and um they don't have a, a product right they're trying to get you to vote and that has to happen in the next couple of days and so uh, key metrics that would normally be analyzed you know click-through rates and ROIs and conversions, et cetera, are sort of out their window. And they're literally just throwing money at the space to try to get views and clicks so much so that I heard YouTube views were going for over $100 a piece. And so uh, they're pricing out not only industries like ours, but I've been reading about this affecting, you know, giant retailers as as well. I mean, you know, the Walmarts, Targets, Amazons of the world, et cetera. And so I just thought it was interesting uh, how expensive this dog and pony show truly is, right? And um, of course, you could uh, go anywhere you want with that discussion about, you know, corporate money in there and Supreme Court decisions, uh, et cetera. But a whole lot of money is being spent uh, to buy your attention uh, this week and, and early next. When you say that there's organizations and groups paying $100 per click, is that, is that, is that did I get that right? Yeah, per view on YouTube, right? To watch to, for, to to watch a YouTube video where you're not guaranteed to have any sort of action after that. You know, you don't know if they're going to click or convert or follow up. That's just to get them to watch the video, right? So they're paying a hundred dollars not to sell something, just to get someone to watch the video of what they may be selling. Incredible, right? <laughs> can I? Can I? Can <laughs> Jerry Falwell Jr. will appreciate this? Can I watch? <laughs> 
reckon maybe that's his calling. He should be he should be the person that screens these things. He can make a hundred bucks a pop and get his kicks off. <laughs> and so if you, if you... <laughs> I may have found a new career uh, for Mr. Falwell Jr. Oh, just cuck here. <laughs> oh man all right we but talk- if you feel like if you feel like you can't get away from political ads if you feel like they're inundating your inbox and the margins of every website you're on you're 100 percent correct absolutely anything that you're looking forward to this week um from the markets nick i know we talked chicana i know we talked Nevada Sunrise Gold. Uh, we often follow a lot of the same companies because we help finance a lot of the same companies. But we also have companies that that you know y- you dabble in not just resource related companies, but you know you're a master ma- master of all crafts there, and 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 you have a great network across many sectors. Are there companies outside of the resource space that? would behoove people to, to to dig into and get familiar with. I know you mentioned a company about a month or so ago, a lithium company, which is a resource company, but Critical Elements, and it's done extremely well. You have several other companies that I know have done extremely well outside of the resource space. Any tidbits or tips or ideas for people? It's a free podcast, well, Nick. We have to give them their money's worth. Yeah, that's it. And if you, if you want me to talk about something that happened this week that you know, actually hasn't been that great of an investment and well, not even that great. It hasn't been a good investment, but um, nonetheless, you know that I'm a long-term hand most times and you as well know that um, large winners can come from shares that are down by half or more uh, before they go up. And so this is a company in the, in the, in the beverage space I've been involved in for a long time that has gone through multiple management changes and, and rebrandings and and strategies, but has seemingly uh, got itself into a place now where it has um, uh, shed a lot of costs because of uh, a branding agreement it had with uh, uh, a country singer named John Rich and a brand of his called Redneck Riviera, where they were making and marketing uh, his whiskey and incurring all of the, the, the marketing costs which wasn't so great for the bottom line, despite getting them uh, some national recognition, and so um, they've got some professional operators in there now from the from the national beverage space, and they just shed that brand this week, which is why they come to mind when you ask me that question. Hmm. Uh, they sold the red the the, the Redneck Riviera uh, whiskey to John Rich, who created a couple of new corporate entities to buy it. But that's neither here nor there. Um, anyway, they've um, they've got two very positive things going for them that interest me. One, they've acquired uh, a tequila company called Azunia that has very deep pocketed owners that can help uh, avoid dilutive equity issuance going uh, forward. And it's an exciting brand in itself. But more importantly, uh, the most profitable uh, sector and what will drive them to profitability very quickly is their, is their canning operations, um, which are high margin and which they can expand very quickly with a little bit of uh, CapEx investment to expanding. They already have a stationary uh, bottling plant in Portland and they own a, a mobile canning station. They're looking to buy a couple uh, more. And so it's the, the stock is very cheap. We financed this thing, um, you know, $3.50, for example. And it's it's been dead money trading flat down around a dollar, but um, perked up very quickly to $1.30 on this news, of course. 
Um, it's been an incredibly volatile week in the stock market and nothing was immune to selling. So that announcement probably didn't even get the hmm. uh, results it should have gotten. But uh, nonetheless, that ship seems to now be righted with that uh, announcement. And uh, we can get to some profitability here shortly with Eastside. And then um, that's when the torque and the multiples of the beverage space start kicking in, which is uh, why I got involved in this thing to begin with. I like it. I like it. There you go, everybody. If you didn't get your money's worth out of that, uh, quit listening. You're not going to get your money's worth. <laughs> Mr. Hodge, it's, it's, it's going to be a hectic um, week coming up. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that we do a, a very thorough episode next week, recapping all of it, which is a, a long-winded way of saying that I, I think on my end of it, we should cut this one short here right at the half hour mark. Um, some good companies to look into, things to look forward to. We think the consolidation's over. I think the consolidation's over in the better names. I think the dollar's going to get stronger and we'll see how our crystal ball uh, prognostications play out as it relates to Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden. Um, anything I think that else? Sets the state, I think that sets the stage well. I think that um, gold is trickling more and more into the mainstream, not only for the uh, earnings reasons uh, I said earlier, but because it has been at uh, record prices. There was a big article in the BBC this week that uh, I wrote about a little bit, but that I was seeing shared around in, in other newsletters I follow that aren't stock market or resource uh, related. And so I just think that the the gold story is separate from the need to replenish reserves, you know, separate from the exciting mm-hmm. drilling companies that were involved in, separate from the rising dividends. I think there's other components of the bull market that are going to start to take shape that, you know, really start to drive things as far as fear and greed and narrative, right? And so, no, I think that's good. Agreed. And and look, people, frankly, we, I, I personally, as a speculator in the space that has a significant amount of my net worth, you know, allocated to the space, I don't want to see everything work at the same time because it doesn't allow me to rotate out of, you know, some of the winners and into some of the laggards that I can identify early on as as the next group of winners. And so I think we we nobody likes to see a stock pull back 30 or 40 percent. Um, but, but, but again, if you're doing this the right way, you're using those pullbacks to enhance positions and, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll leave that there. I'll also leave you with some breaking news from Green Bay, Wisconsin, Mr. Trump's quote on what will happen if Biden wins on Tuesday. He says, quote, there will be no heating in the winter, no air conditioning in the summer and no electricity. The voice is actually pretty good. You do well. (laughs) Winter is coming, y'all. The Hunger Games coming on Tuesday. I'm Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This was a Hunger Games (laughs) edition of Bizarro World, episode 92. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe. Go vote if you haven't, and wash your hands. And gather some wood. No electricity for anyone.